for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Before today's guest was the talented Mr. Roto. Before he was at ESPN. Before he was at NBC. He was part of the Crazy Morning Crew. So excited to have Mr. Matthew Berry. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, John. Thanks. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So I always start by asking folks how they ended up at Syracuse because you kind of were all over the place as a kid. How'd you land at SU? I wanted to be in television, radio, film. I knew that was my major. And so very simply... I went to my high school guidance counselor. So I, I grew up in College Station, Texas, which is where Texas A&M University is. Yep. Most people are familiar with, uh, with Texas A&M. And I actually worked my way through high school as a DJ. And literally, that was my high school job, was working as a local DJ. I was a rock and roll DJ for the local classic rock station, Matthew Rock and Roll Berry. Nice. Monday through Friday, 7 to midnight on KTAM, Brazos Valley's classic rap. I knew I wanted to be in... TV, film, something like that. And I went to my guidance counselor and asked him, you know, what the best broadcast school was. And so that guidance counselor, that book that year had the Newhouse School, had Syracuse as the number one school, obviously, in the country. And so I applied and went. I mean, so nothing, uh, it was just a little like I was told that was the, that was the best <laughs> school. And I went and obviously, you know, you go there and you get the tour and this is where Bob Costas went, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and this is where Len Berman went, you know, Marv Albert, and Ted Koppel, and they, you know, they give you all the highlights. So uh, it was pretty impressive. Easy for me to get there. So you get there in the late 80s and you were multi-platform before multi-platform was cool. You started the DO before you were at Z89, right? Do I have that right? Correct. So I wrote a humor column for the Daily Orange for a couple of years called, and God, I hate this title. I hated it then, by the way. The editors at the Daily Orange named it, but it was called Very Funny. I love it. Why do you hate it? Oh, it's awful. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a bad pun. It's just, it's hacky. But anyway, it stuck. And so I wrote a humor comp for the Daily Orange for a couple of years. I also was doing mostly producing and writing, although I did a little bit of acting at uh, what was then known as UUTV. Yep. It is now known as, uh, I think, Citrus TV or Citrus Hill TV. Yep. But the student TV station. Uh, so I was heavily involved in that. So to your point about sort of multi-platform, I was doing written work on the student newspaper at the Daily Orange. I was doing TV at the student TV station, UUTV, and of course, then Z89 and the Crazy Morning Crew. How did you get to Z89? Honestly, so I had kind of a circuitous route there. As I said, I had been a DJ throughout my high school career. 14 years old, I started, I became obsessed with radio for some reason. And I started like going to all the like, all the local remotes that the radio stations in my town would do. And I'm sure at first the DJs were like, who's this weird kid that keeps coming and just hanging out? But they soon realized I was kind of just a harmless, enthusiastic kid who loved radio. And I was, you know, trying to be helpful. Hey, can I get you lunch? Can I, you know, do you want me to hand out bumper stickers? You know, whatever. And so eventually... They started having me, you know, hey, you want to come down to the station, answer phones. And I was like, you bet, you know, and eventually like a job opened up to run some taped programming. And I did that. And then I got to do some overnights as a DJ. And then Saturday and Sunday afternoons, I was doing some stuff. And then eventually let me, my senior year in high school, the Monday through Friday, seven to midnight show opened up. I had been doing good stuff on the weekends and so they gave it to me. So that was my senior year of high school is doing Monday through Friday, seven to midnight. And Ryan College Station is a town of about 150,000. 
I want to say it's like market 170 or something like that. But it was a rated market. Like it was an Arbitron rated market back then. So like there was a book. I finished number one men 25 to 54. Nice. Which was our demo. You know, obviously Classic Rock Station was our demo. So I have an air check, right? And I get to Syracuse and I go to Z89 and I'm like, hey, I would love to, you know, be on air here. And they're like, all right, you can start out doing like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., you know, once a week. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I. I sort of did that when I was 15 years old. I'm, <laughs> I've literally been a DJ in a rated market. I'm actually was number one in a rated market. Shouldn't I just sort of like do afternoon drive or something? And they're like, no, no, no. Everyone starts at like, you know, Tuesday report. You can do Tuesdays at 3 a.m. And I was just <laughs> like, yeah, okay, no thanks. But then what ended up happening is some of my dear friends, people that are I'm dear friends with to this day, many, 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 many years after, but uh, Kendall Lamar. Yep. Um, and so Kendall Lamar and Adam Shapiro and Chris Lindsay, Chris Lindsay was my college roommate. And, uh, you know, I was dear friends with Kendall and Adam. And, and so they were doing the crazy morning crew. And so they asked if I wanted to join them. So I really, I snuck in through Kendall Lamar, who was, you know, a a Z89 legend, you know, through his good graces. And, uh, I think at the time, uh, Dave Gorab was the program director and Dave and I were friends at that point, like my column was pretty popular and everything like that. And it was just, he was just like, this is stupid. I don't know why you're not on our air and why we're not doing stuff with you. So yes, into my junior year and then all my senior year, me, Kendall, Adam, and Chris Lindsay did the crazy morning crew together. And we would, you know, not all four of us would be there every single morning, but we did, we did a bunch of stuff. And so we had a lot of fun. Any uh, specific bits or memories you have from the morning show that come to mind? We had a bunch of it ones, and I'm trying to remember some of them. Um, at the time, there was the Nike campaign around Bo Jackson, Bo Knows. Right. You know, and it was like Bo Knows Sports, Bo Knows Baseball, Bo Knows Football. It was all like about how, you know, what this great multi-athlete Bo Jackson was. So we had a guy at the station that sort of sounded like Bo Jackson. And so we would use him to do this. Uh, we just had people call up and ask advice questions, you know, love advice, relationship, work advice, the dumber, the better. And sometimes we would do it as well. We would write them and pretend they were emails or letters that we'd gotten. And so we asked Bo, you know, all right, time for another episode of Bo Knows, you know, Bo, my wife was having an affair with my brother. What should, what should I do? You know, it was stuff like that. I can't do the impression, but it's a lot of like, you know, every answer was like, you know, like my wife is sleeping with my brother. What should I do? And you know, it, it sounds like, you know, you and your wife aren't on the same page and really need to work on some communication and <laughs> maybe it would help if, you know, you just bought everyone a pair of my Nike shoes. Oh. And so that was like, every single answer somehow related back to the person's issue would be solved if they just bought a pair of his Nike shoes <laughs> because that was the whole campaign. And so we had fun with that. Uh, Chris Lindsay was also called the Panther of Love. <laughs> and so we did a relationship advice also with him. Uh, what else did we do? We, I mean, we had a bunch of different, uh, I'm going to text them right now and I'm going to see what, um, what they say. All right. Text them now. We'll text them now when it comes I'll back. I'll see if I get an answer. Yeah. We're recording this 1130 Eastern. So Kendall's probably doing his morning show on, on the amp platform right. right now. And shout out to Kendall, by the way, who connected, uh, the two of us, former guest on the podcast. While you're texting him, once you're done sending that text, I do want to ask you, you know, everybody knows you for your sports and your fantasy experience, but when you get out of Syracuse, that wasn't where you started. No. What you're talking about there, John, is uh, you're talking about my my showbiz career. So, you know, know, as we talked about my Syracuse career, I spent most of my time at UUTV, at the student TV station. And so I really enjoyed 
you know, sort of running and producing. I did a show called Uncle Bobo's World of Fun. <laughs> it was a sitcom about a terrible TV show. So the premise of the show was, and speaking of the Crazy Morning Crew, by the way, Chris Lindsay played Uncle Bobo as well. <laughs> but the premise of that particular sitcom was that it was a children's show host. This is before Krusty the Clown, by the way. <laughs> it was very similar to what Krusty the Clown is on The Simpsons, but this is pre that character. But the idea was basically a children's show host who, um, you know, off camera was a beer guzzling, you know, alcoholic, you know, women chasing, just, you know, a bad, a, the worst person ever possibly that should be hosting a child show. And he did it on a low rated kind of UHF station, you know, and so the idea was that like, because we knew we didn't have great equipment and that there'd be boom shots and, you know, stuff like that. And so it was explained away by the fact that it was on this crappy station. Love it. The show within a show. And so we did that. But I really enjoyed that. And we ended up doing, I think, 20 episodes of the show over two years. And I really enjoyed that. And so after Syracuse, I moved out to Hollywood and I moved out with a guy named Eric Abrams. Chris Lindsay also came out and like a bunch of those guys ended up coming out with me. But Eric Abrams was my writing partner on, on Uncle Bobo. And we moved out to Hollywood to pursue a career as screenwriters, mm -hmm. uh, TV and movie writers. And so how did that go? And you ended up doing a few different things out there including one of my favorite TV shows of all time, Married with Children. I know you were on the last season of that, right? I was, yeah. I mean, so we, you know, I ended up in the Syracuse network is strong and I went out there and basically anyone that had graduated from Syracuse that had done anything in the entertainment, you know, I wrote them an email or a letter and I said, you know, listen, I just graduated from Syracuse and I'm wanted to pursue this career. Could you meet with me? Would you give me, you know, 15 minutes of your time, 20 minutes of your time to sort of talk through, you know, give me some advice. That's great advice for a current student, too, is, is asking someone 15 minutes of their time. And this is what I did. The advice I give to students now is like, don't write up and say, hey, I want a job. Right. Because that's all they get. The 24-7, can you get me a job? Can you give me a job? I literally would say like, hey, I'm not asking for a job. I literally just want some advice. Are you willing to give me 15 minutes, 20 minutes? I'll come to wherever you are. Right. I will get on the phone, make it super easy for you. Just will you happily give me 15 minutes of your time? I'm not asking for a job. And so what you do there is by doing that, you disarm them and you're like, okay, sure. I'll give you advice. I, you know, when I was starting out, I needed advice. You know, and I tell students, I said, if you go there and you're prepared and you've done research on the person you're talking to, you know, you're not just like, how do I get my start and how do yeah. I become famous? And it's not that, but you're just like, Hey, you did X, Y, and Z. Tell me about how you got to X. You know, what can I personally learn from your experience with Y or whatever? If you come prepared and you're nice and you're polite and, you know, you're interested at the end of the 15 minutes, some of the people will say like, well, good luck to you. <laughs> but some of them will say, you know what? You seem like a nice kid. Do you know who you should talk to? Right. Actually, you know, my buddy down the hall is actually looking for somebody, you know, and now there's a personal connection and now they're probably more prone to be willing to try to help you and go a little bit further than just getting a cold email or call, you know, from somebody asking for a job. The old analogy is that anybody's favorite topic generally is themselves. So if like you said, Correct. I love that point of if you've done your homework about the person you're talking to and you want to ask them about their story, that's such an easy way to start a conversation. Sure, I'll tell you about myself and what I've done. And that's I love that advice for our current students and young alumni. Yeah, listen, everyone likes talking about themselves, right? And I'm, I'm no exception, right? I mean, obviously, right? so I'm sitting here doing the exact same thing. And so I think if you just give them an opportunity in the forum to do that, my very first job out of Syracuse actually was again, thanks to Syracuse. So when I was at Syracuse, I was uh, also the president of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. We had a chapter there. And so we invited to come speak 
at the conference, Sam Simon, the late, great Sam Simon, who was the creator of The Simpsons. And, um, you know, he's a producer on Cheers and Taxi and just, you know, this legendary career that he had as a, as a writer and a producer. You know, in booking him, I ended up becoming friendly with his assistant, mm -hmm. right? Because I had to book his travel and his hotel and, you know, make all these arrangements and blah, blah, blah. And so when I moved out to Hollywood, I hit her up and I said, can you help me? And Sam had had a good experience when he was on campus and with me. And so I ended up getting hired as a production assistant on the George Carlin show, mm -hmm. which was a sitcom that Sam was creating and it was running. It ran for two years on Fox. I was the stage PA on stage 17 of the Warner Brothers lot at the George Carlin show. In essence, I was George Carlin's assistant. I worked as a PA, a production assistant on another sitcom as well. And all the time I was doing that, I was trying to become a professional writer, a sitcom writer. And Warner Brothers back in the day, I don't know if they still have this, but back then they had this thing called the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. Okay. And probably like 800 or 1,000 people applied. Out of the 1,000 scripts, they would narrow it down to 50. And out of the 50 people they interviewed, probably like 25 would make the class. And out of the 25 people that made the class, four or five people out of that 25 would become staff writers on a Warner Brothers sitcom show. Oh, wow. Okay. And so George Carlin wrote me a recommendation letter to get me into the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. Wow. I mean, that's impressive. Brilliant comedian. You know, he's a legend. And so obviously that helped out a lot. And we, Eric and I got into the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop and through the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop, our script got there. We interviewed, we got into the class and out of the four or five people that got jobs that year out of the Warner Brothers Workshop, we were one of them. And we got placed on a Warner Brothers sitcom called Kirk starring former teen heartthrob Kirk Cameron. Ha! It was a family show and wasn't particularly good, but <laughs> we were writers. We were writers, and so we were thrilled. And so that's sort of how I got my start. And to your point, John, just to bring it full circle, we were able to get an agent. You know, we were writing. That particular year, the Kirk show, you know, there's this, you know, Parents for Television Council. All right. Uh, the Parents Television Council, they, you know, deemed what was good and what was bad and everything like that. And so they, that year, declared Kirk the safest, best, most family-friendly show on television. That's wild, because you always hear about them complaining about stuff. This is the other end of the spectrum. Well, Kirk, you know, you may have seen because he's made some news over the years. Kirk is a devout, devout Christian mm -hmm. and very, very religious. And so his ethics and point of view obviously influenced the show quite a bit. And so, yes, it was very, very safe and family-friendly. And so I was very proud that we did a show on that. We did that year. We were we were on the safest, most family-friendly show on television. And then the very next year, we went to the show that the Parents Television Council had declared the worst, most unfamily-friendly, <laughs> the least uh, desirable show, Married with Children. So yes, we went and wrote on Married with Children. We did 28 episodes of the show, and I had an absolute blast doing that. In the mid-90s, I was a teenager, and uh, my brother was probably 10. And my parents and my brother and I would watch the show together. And then I remember my mom's parents like came to visit from Florida and saw that we were watching this show together as a family. And they were just completely mortified. Like, you let your kids watch this? This is awful. But it was, to this day, one of my favorite shows ever. Oh, yeah. And it's not a show you could ever get away with now on TV. No. But it was really fun. And, you know, everyone in that cast was great. It just, it was, you know, just sort of on rails. And. What's hilarious is, is that for all its bodiness, you know, and for all of its um, warts, for lack of a better way to phrase it, like <laughs> at the end of the day, Al Bundy was married. I mean, he constantly, he constantly complained about his wife. He didn't like his kids. He hated his job, everything like that. But like he never cheated on Peg. Right. He was tempted all the time. 
he constantly talked about how he wanted to, and he didn't like her and that he didn't want to sleep with her. And Peg was lazy and on the couch eating bonbons and the whole thing. But the fact is, is that at the end of the day, he always came home to Peg. He always came home to Peg. He always would do whatever he had to for his kids, for Kelly and Bud. And, you know, in their own weird way, they were really, truly a family. And so um, I had a blast on that show and, and remember that fondly. That's fantastic. And then one of the things when you keynoted our banquet a few years ago, you talked about finding your niche and finding your sweet spot. So how did the transition go from writing for television, from everything from Kirk Cameron to married with children to into the sports world? Well, you know, I've always been a sports fan. In fact, my friend Adam Shapiro, who I'm literally on a text chain right now, I think he was a sports director at Z89 back in the day. And so he had a, like a sports call-in show as well and on the weekends. And so I would call in sometimes. And I really, I always loved sports. Always loved it. It was my passion. And I, but just, I never thought a career in sports was for me. Mm-hmm. I never thought a career in broadcasting sports was for me. But what ended up happening is, is that, you know, I'm obviously a massive fantasy football player. When I was at Syracuse, I got invited to join my very first fantasy football league. Mm-hmm. by a guy named A.J. Mass, who worked on Uncle Bobo with me and is still to this day, you know, a writer and editor for ESPN uh, in their fantasy department. He asked me to join a league of other Syracuse guys, a fantasy football league. And Kendall Lamar is in that league. Chris Lindsay and I co-own a team. Adam Shapiro is in that league. Uh, Matt Rahaska is in that league. You know, a lot of names that might be familiar to uh, people listening to this podcast. Gary Giovanetti's in that league. And and so anyway, you know, I joined that league and just absolutely loved fantasy sports. Flash forward now to 1999. I graduated college in 1992. I'm class of 92. Mm-hmm. 1999, there's a website called Roto World, and they are advertising for fantasy sports writers. Okay. And this is 1999. This is the age of dial-up. Like, you know, so yeah. people that are younger, you know, probably don't remember this at all. But like to get onto the internet, like you had to dial up to get to the internet and they're all like, Exactly. And before that, it was, you know, calling in. Like, if I remember this when I was in the early 90s, like with my dad calling in our our fantasy selections on like a telephone line. And now it's starting to go digital and go online. Correct. But yeah, back in the day, you know, fantasy started before computers, before the internet. So yeah, you had to either call in your lineups or you had to fax them in. And standings would come out like once a week because you had to wait for all the stats to get calculated. It was very, very hardcore. So this was, you know, CompuServe, AOL, you know, you've got mail was a novel thing. Like, you've got mail. And you're like, oh, I've got an email. Like, that was actually a novel thing back then. But I wrote them a note and I said, hey, listen, I'm a professional writer living out here in Hollywood, but fantasy sports is my passion. And I just think it would be so much fun to write a column on the side. Can I try out? Can I send you a sample? I just think it'd be fun as a hobby. And they wrote me back the next day and they said, we looked you up on IMDb. Married with Children is our favorite show of all time. You're hired. Wow. So again, it all goes back to Married with Children because I was, you know, writing mean wife jokes for Al Bundy. <laughs> I got a chance to write a free column on a low rated, you know, website around fantasy sports. And I started writing a fantasy basketball column, eventually getting into football and baseball as well. And really fell in love with it. It's WJPZ. At 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. 
Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. I've had a really wonderful career that's had a lot of sort of curves and journeys. And, you know, sometimes kids will ask like, well, how do I become the next Matthew Berry? How do I get your career? And I'm like, well, I have some advice, but my biggest answer is not to follow my pen. Sure. Because my path is like, you know, you couldn't plan it out. It was so ridiculous. And so like I, I started writing for Roto World. Uh, I think I'm a pretty good writer and I developed a pretty big following uh, there. And so after four and a half years, and I wrote my column for free, eventually then I ended up getting like paid like 25 bucks a column. And I think eventually it wound up being, I don't know, maybe 50 bucks a column was the highest I ever got paid. Huh. Okay. But, you know, after four and a half years, and it's now 2004, and people were starting to make money on the internet. Right. Not a lot of money, but the dot-com bubble had burst and people were starting to actually think, oh, hey, advertising on the internet is actually a viable way to get your product out there. And so... I thought maybe, hey, there's a chance I could make a few bucks on my own. So I decided to leave Roto World and start my own blog. Again, literally just thinking like, hey, maybe I'll just make a few more bucks on the side. And then I felt like I had a big enough audience that I could justify that. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And what I realized quickly was that I didn't have any money to buy any advertising. <laughs> this is pre-social media. Forget Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. There was no Facebook. There wasn't even MySpace at this point. Like there was yeah. just how do I get the message out that, hey, I've got this new website over here and I couldn't buy any marketing. I couldn't, I didn't have any money to go out and pay for advertising. So I realized that the only way I could market the site was me. So I called every radio station I could find, every TV station I could find, every website I could find, including Roto World. Wow. I went back to them and I said, hey, I will write for you for free. I will come on your air for free. All you have to do is mention my website, just link back to my website, just send traffic to my website. Wow, okay. And they all said, okay. I wrote for RotoWorld.com. I wrote for the Sporting News. I wrote for uh, MLB.com, NBA.com. We did some stuff for CBS Sports. Kept, you know, just doing whatever I could. Uh, One of the places that I went to was ESPN Radio. Mm -hmm. So a guy named Steve Mason, you know, from uh, Mason in Ireland. First, it was, he was at Fox Sports. And randomly, he was at Fox Sports at the same time as a guy named Jason Smith, who's also, you know, proud Syracuse alumnus. Yep. And Jason's done really well for himself. Anyway, so I go in. Steve Mason is a fan of my column and has me on for a segment. And then that leads to two segments, leads to, I uh, want you stick for around for an hour, want to get fill in. And yep. eventually I just started doing a bunch of stuff with ESPN Radio. And eventually, like Steve left Fox Sports to go over to ESPN Radio in L.A. And so he was doing that and he brought me over there and I did some stuff there and I kind of got into the ESPN ecosystem. And so I was starting to do some stuff with ESPN Radio in LA and then I met a producer from Cold Pizza, if you remember that TV show. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I said to the Cold Pizza producer, I said, hey, you know, why don't I do a weekly fantasy sports segment for you guys? Like I'm already doing stuff for ESPN Radio in LA. I'm, I'm kind of in the family. And they were like, okay, we'll give it a try. And so we did that and they liked it. You know, then I ended up meeting somebody from ESPN News and I said, you know, I'm doing this segment for cold pizza and I'm doing, you know, radio in L.A. I'm kind of in the family. Why don't you let me do a segment on ESPN News? And they said, OK. Hmm. And then from there, I met somebody from ESPN, the magazine. And I said, you know, listen, I do these things. I do these segments for ESPN News and I'm, you know, on cold pizza once a week and I'm doing hits for ESPN Radio in L.A. I'm kind of in the family. Why don't I do some writing for you guys in the magazine? And they were like, OK. 
And I just kept kind of like doing that, you know, piece by piece and meeting people in the company. And eventually in 2007, ESPN came to me and they said, you know, we think fantasy football is big enough that we've been talking internally. And we've been talking about how we need a guy. We need somebody. We need to find our Mel Kuyper. Who's our Mel Kuyper of fantasy football? Right. We need to find a Mel Kuyper for fantasy football. And they're like, we like all the work you do for us. And at that point, the website, my talented Mr. Roto website, the blog that I'd started was profitable. You know, no one was buying, you know, yachts or anything like that, but we were in the black. We had a nice little subscriber base. I'd spent the last three years kind of building it up and we had a good reputation and some other good writers that worked with me. And they said, you know, we'd like to buy your website, move you out to Connecticut and make you the guy. Wow. And all along that whole time, I've been earning my living as a screenwriter. I was writing for TV. I was writing for movies. I wrote a number of movies. You know, almost none of them got made. Only one of them actually got made. But I was, you know, I was a working writer in Hollywood, working on good projects. But I was sort of disillusioned with the Hollywood process. And I found myself, when I woke up in the morning or went to bed at night, what I was thinking about wasn't the script that I was working on, whatever script I was working on. I was thinking about the website. Yeah. What could I build? How could I do the website? What can I do there? What kind of angles can I do? And so I, I realized that this was just kind of an, an amazing opportunity. So I sold them my website and I quit show business and I moved out to Connecticut and it was a two-year deal. They were going to buy my website and the price that they were buying my website for was you know a certain amount of money. And then there was extra amount of money for me to go work for ESPN, called an earnout, quote unquote, running the site, but also basically a fantasy sports talent for them. Mm-hmm. So it was a two-year deal and I was just like, well, you know, if it all crashes and burns, I'll have been on ESPN for two years and I'll figure it out from there. That's probably not a bad thing to have on your resume. And uh, I ended up doing 15 years there. The two years went well and they signed me to a contract and then another contract and then another one. And ultimately I ended up doing 15 years at ESPN. The two real takeaways I have from that story are one, the hustle of just reaching out to every radio station and TV station and website and like, hey, I'll talk fantasy for free if you just promote my website. I think you deserve a lot of credit for almost being ahead of your time there. And then also following your passion and saying, you know, I'm here, I've got my gig, you know, writing in Hollywood, but if this is really what gets my juices going is the sports and the fantasy, like, why not? Follow your heart and you did that. Thanks. There's one other lesson there, but both those things are correct, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I was making a really nice living in Hollywood, but my passion was, to your point, my passion was the fantasy sports site. And I thought, you know, I really want to try to make a go of it. And really what happened is, is that, you know, I skipped over a couple of important steps. In 2005, Mm -hmm. I went to my writing partner, I went to Eric Abrams, uh, you know, who's also Syracuse 92. And I said, hey, the only thing that really makes me happy is this dumb fantasy sports website. (laughs) I just said, listen, I'm going to quit. I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm going to be a, a year's warning. Let's you and I write one more script. We'll split the money. And then at the end of this year, I'm going to go try to make a career of fantasy football. And like, this is again, this is 2005. And so it's really nerd and niche. And, you know, the internet isn't what it is. And I'm like, look, I'll probably make $10,000 a year. I'm probably going to fall flat on my face and I'll have to, you know, do some minimum wage job just to make ends meet. But I, this is what makes me happy. And I just want to pursue happiness. I just want to uh, chase happiness. And so, you know, what's crazy about that is that by doing that, John, Mm -hmm. just by chasing happiness, I become so much more successful than I ever was in Hollywood. Huh. Yeah. You know, I always joke about this, but I had to leave, like, I've made so much more money doing what I do now than I ever did as a Hollywood writer. And it's so funny, like, I was talking about the fact I had to leave Hollywood to win an Emmy. I won my Emmy, not in Hollywood, but in Bristol, Connecticut. Yeah. I was never on camera in Hollywood. But as soon as I left Hollywood and pursued my passion, 
I got out from behind the computer screen and in front of a, uh, of a TV screen and not just a TV screen, but like I'm in a movie, right? I, I did a cameo in Avengers Endgame. Right. Like it's insane to think about, right? But I, you know, by leaving Hollywood, I was able to get into Hollywood movies, you know, so it's just crazy. And, but the thing is, is that if I'd planned any of that, it wouldn't have happened. All I did was I pursued my passion and what made me happy. And I figured like, if I could just pursue this and get good at this, good things will happen. I didn't have a grand plan. And so that's always my advice to kids is always like, they're like, how do I get an agent? How do I become famous? And how do I get on TV? And how do I get to ESPN? Yeah. How do I get to NBC? And my answer is, is like, I would forget all that and just worry about getting good. Just get good. Yeah. Because I promise you that if you're good at whatever it is you do, podcasting, writing, vlogging, being a social star, whatever it is you do, photography, you know, whatever you do, if you're good at it, I promise you someone will find you because we're always looking for good people. You're always looking for somebody that can help you. And so just push everything out of there and then just try to get good at what you do. But to your point about the hustle, that's right. Once I felt like I was good, I definitely was proactive in like, hey, you're a Syracuse grad. Can I talk to you? Hey, we have this mutual friend. Hey, do you know anyone over at Cold Pizza? Oh yeah, my friend is a producer over there. Can you introduce me? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of stuff. So constantly like, trying to do that. And then the last piece of advice that you didn't take away from my story that I would just sort of say here is there's a little bit of like, fake it till you make it. Yeah. In essence, I was doing basically two or three hits a week on ESPN Radio in LA, none of them more than five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I was on their air for less than 15 minutes. But you know, when I was talking to Cold Pizza, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm part of ESPN Radio LA and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, and they're like, all right. You know, and they're like, it's just, again, it's a little bit of like, fake it till you make it. If you can act like you've got confidence in yourself, then it's easier for other people to have confidence in you. You got to push through that imposter syndrome and act like you belong, right? A hundred percent. hundred percent. How did they move from ESPN to NBC recently go? Yeah, you know, listen, my contract was coming up at ESPN and ESPN was very gracious to me. They're like, we really like you. We want you to stick around for a long time. You know, they offered me a three-year extension, but there were a couple of things that were really important to me. Number one is, and as you heard sort of my story here, John, I mean, I think you can realize or anyone that's listening to this realize that I'm secretly an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. I'm secretly an entrepreneur at heart. I love building stuff. I love being creative. I love being entrepreneurial and hustling, as you say. And so one of the things that I did while I was at ESPN is I had a company called Fantasy Life. Mm -hmm. I wrote a book called Fantasy Life. It was a New York Times bestseller. It debuted at number five on the list. Spent many months on the list, did really well for me. I'm really proud of that. You know, it took me two years to write and um, I think it's the best thing I've ever written. So if you're a fan of my writing, I would highly recommend buying that. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, you got a used version of it on Amazon cheap. But after the success of Fantasy Life, I decided that I thought there was a chance to build on that brand and create a company around that brand of Fantasy Life and I've done so. You know, there's a whole ecosystem around the brand Fantasy Life. There's a website at fantasylife.com. We do a free daily newsletter to over 300,000 people. Uh, the Fantasy Life newsletter. There's an app, the Fantasy Life app, which is great. Also free. The alerts are ridiculous. And it's a big ecosystem and it's a big company. And like we're now with like, I think, 11 full-time employees. Like, And so it's done really well. And I had a carve out for this in my previous contract with ESPN. And ESPN came to me and they said, well, you know, we want to sign you to an extension and we want you to, you know, stick around and we, we really like you, but you're going to have to get rid of fantasy life. Mm. We want you focusing on ESPN and purely ESPN. And so there was that issue and I didn't want to give up fantasy life. And then the other issue was, is that 
I wanted to be part of NFL coverage. The way it's set up in ESPN is that the people who do fantasy in sports betting are completely in a separate category than the people who do our NFL coverage. Right. You had the pregame show for fantasy on ESPN2 on Sunday mornings while the main pregame show is running on ESPN for a while there. Yeah, it is kind of separate. Correct. It's very separate. And like the ultimate boss of the Sunday NFL countdown show that you referenced that has Matt Hasselbeck and Teddy Bruschi and Rex Ryan and all those guys on it. The person that runs that show is a different person and reports to a different person than the person who runs fantasy football now. You know, it's not even in the same division. Okay. You know, it's a sort of inside baseball, but like just basically it, the way ESPN covers the NFL does not include sports betting or fantasy, period. And it was important mm -hmm. to me as I've tried to always push the ball forward for fantasy sports or sports betting now more recently, now that it's legal, that it be part of NFL coverage because I believe in a big way, John, that that is one of the ways, one of the major ways, candidly, that fans engage with the NFL. They root for their team. They like to tailgate, but they also have fantasy players in games that they're watching. And in the state where it's legal, they've got money on the game or money on a player. I'm glad you went there because I was going to ask you if you felt like the advent of legal gambling is almost uh, doing for the NFL and sports now what fantasy did back in the day. And as an example, I grew up in Boston. I'm a Patriots fan. So for 20 years, I got to sit back and watch my team destroy everybody and love football. And now that my team is back toward the middle of the pack, I've actually started gambling on the NFL more because I kind of like that extra juice and that extra thing to root for because I'm not just sitting back watching Tom Brady destroy the entire league anymore. Exactly. I mean, it gives you both fantasy and sports betting are very different pursuits, but they both have at its core a similar appeal, which is it gives you a rooting interest in a game that you might not otherwise care about yeah. or it gives you more of a rooting interest in a game that you do care about. At any rate, it was important to me to be part of NFL coverage. And so, you know, we had some conversations, my agents and I, and, and I felt pretty confident that if I left ESPN, that I would be able to be a part of NFL coverage somewhere. We had a number of really good conversations. And so I made the decision to leave ESPN and once again, sort of bet on myself. You know, NBC was great. And when I met with them, NBC basically said like, hey, you know, we really love you. And they made me a very generous offer in terms of what they're paying me. But beyond that, they just basically said two things. Number one is, we will make you a part of our NFL coverage. Mm. We're going to put you on football night in America. You will be part of the biggest pregame show in the world. Yeah. The highest rated TV show, forget sports, just the highest rated show on TV right now is football night in America. Again, after you leave LA, you go to the highest rated show on TV. Correct. Yeah, exactly. The only thing that's higher rated than football night in America is the actual Sunday night football game. Sure. So I guess technically it's the second highest rated. <laughs> they were like, we're going to put you on football night in America. We'll make you part of our NFL coverage. And by the way, in terms of fantasy life, do whatever you want. Huh. We're going to be supportive of that. We're going to be completely supportive of that. As they pointed out to me, they said, Chris Collinsworth owns pro football focus and Mike Florio owns pro football talk. We are comfortable with our talent having an entrepreneurial side to them. Mm -hmm. Jim Cramer over on uh, CNBC, he owns his investment club. Right. And I was just like, wow, that's amazing. And so they basically said they're going to put me on, you know, the highest rated show on television, make me part of NBC's NFL coverage. And oh, by the way, they're going to let me do what I want with my entrepreneurial side. Like it was a 10 minute negotiation. I'm like, where do I sign? And I was like, perfect. So NBC is, you know, and I say this with no disrespect to ESPN, but NBC has been amazing. They've been incredible partners. I love working there. I feel like this past year was the best year of my professional career. It's been fantastic. And I'll tell you just a quick anecdote about NBC. 
uh, my very first day, they tell me to come to this conference room or whatever. And so I show up there 9 a.m. And I get there and in the conference room, we're like, really like 15 people. Hmm. Maybe there's 20. Like everyone that basically runs NBC Sports at NBC. So a man named Sam Flood, who's the executive producer of NBC Sports, Sam Flood stands up in front of everybody. And like, and the, you know, the chairman of NBC Sports is there, and Pete Babacqua, um, Fred Godelli, who produces Sunday Night Football, the legend Fred Godelli, he's there. Like, yeah, it's a who's who of NBC Sports. They're all there. And Sam says, thank you, everyone, for coming. I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome Matthew Barry to the NBC Sports family. Fantasy football and sports betting are not a third rail. They're not some siloed thing. They are part of how we cover the NFL at NBC. They are part of our coverage of the NFL. It's part of what we do here at NBC in terms of how we cover the league. And Matthew is going to lead our efforts there. Please welcome Matthew to NBC Sports. Wow. Right? That had to be an incredible feeling. Amazing. It was incredible. It was awesome. How do you not love being there? And he's been true to his word. I'm on Football Night in America. I do like three or four segments. We talk fantasy. We talk betting. I was at the NFL Combine. I was at the Super Bowl. I was broadcasting live from the Jaguars Chiefs divisional round playoff game that NBC broadcast. Right. Like I'm literally on the sidelines broadcasting before a playoff game. Like how insane is that? You know, so it's it's been great. One of the things you said when you keynoted the banquet a few years ago is that you're okay with being wrong, is that, you know, you'll make a prediction when it comes to fantasy or gambling or whatever it is, and you're not always going to be right, but have a reason for what you're predicting. Correct. Look, it's a game played with an oblong-shaped ball made of leather. <laughs> Weird stuff is going to happen. Weird stuff is going to happen. You can't predict the future. And I think most people, most reasonable people understand that. But as long as you have a good reason for why you think what you think, that it's not just for being outrageous, but it is backed in data and stats and analysis and film study. And you're like, this is what's going to happen. And this is why I think it's going to happen. You know, most people are, are forgiving and the people that aren't, you know, are just being unreasonable and looking for a fight. I want to come back to the banquet for a second. You're one of the rare guests we've had who's been a keynote speaker at the banquet. Yeah. I was talking to Matt Friedman from the class of 94 yesterday, and he told me the story of that banquet weekend, and he's hanging out with Adam Shapiro at Fagan's, and you're texting Shapiro saying, hey, I'm on my way over. And so they kind of had a spot near the front of the bar waiting for you to get there. And nobody else knew in the bar that Matthew Berry from at the time ESPN was coming in, and that you walked into Fagan's, and the second you walk into Fagan's, Every kid in the place has their cell phone out taking pictures. That had to be a, a surreal moment for you. I actually don't even remember that. I have to be <laughs> honest with you. All right, fair enough. <laughs> it's well, just it's not. I mean, like, I'm not saying that every time I go into a bar, everyone pulls out their cell phones. But certainly uh, I am used to having heads turn and phones up when I walk into a place. Okay. But yes, to your point, I think for me that the surreal part wasn't necessarily the people gawking, but that people were gawking at Fagan's, that I was walking back into Fagan's, not as like, you know, a college kid, you know, hoping for flip night. Right. You know, that I was, uh, that I was walking in as, you know, I guess somebody who had made it. Yeah. Kind of where I was going is it had to be just full circle. You're coming back from being a student at Syracuse and learning the ropes and being told, hey, start on overnights at JPZ. You can't just start doing whatever. And now you're coming back to keynote the banquet and basically everybody in the room and probably everybody in the sports department is trying to get a minute of your time. Yeah, I mean, but that's okay. But that's what you're there for, right? I mean, I feel like that's, you know, when you go to the banquet, you know, when you say, hey, yeah, I'll come back to college. I'll come back to Syracuse. That's the gig. People want your time. And like, listen, that's what we did with Sam Simon back when I was a student. And so 
Yeah, I was good with it. I enjoyed it. I had a great time at the banquet. It was it was really good. And I, um, uh, you know, I got a standing ovation. It's pretty cool. That was a cool moment. I'm sure. And we, we were one of, you know, so well received. I spoke, speak for many of the alumni when we talk about how thrilled we were to have you. Uh, I'm going to timestamp this and say we're recording this on March 31st. And I'm going to turn this around more quickly than normal because things so change so quickly in the NFL. We're going to release this the Monday before the draft. Okay. Give me... One storyline, I'm not going to ask for draft predictions or record predictions or anything like that, but give me one storyline in the NFL that you're really interested in following this year. Uh, One storyline in the NFL. I mean, I think, you know, as we sit here today, I mean, I think Lamar Jackson, right, is a fascinating one. Yeah. Where does he wind up playing? What ends up happening with him? I I mean, just on a larger scale, I'll just say quarterbacks, right? I mean, I Mm -hmm. think there's so many great quarterback storylines Lamar Jackson being, you know, one of the most notable as we sit here today, the expectation is, is that Aaron Rodgers will be traded to the New York Jets. But as of this recording, he has not. He's still currently a member of the Green Bay Packers. So assuming that happens, you know, is it Rodgers from two years ago? Is it Rodgers from last year? What happens with Rodgers in New York on a different team for the first time playing with a team that isn't the Green Bay Packers? I think that's fascinating. Um, Tom Brady retired this offseason. There's rumors that he might come back. I don't think he will, but you never know. So that's sort of interesting. Tua Tunga-Bailoa had a great year last year, but also health was a concern. What happens with Tua in Miami, I think is is sort of fascinating. You know, I mean, I just think there's a ton of different great quarterback storylines. Brock Purdy was an incredible story last year. Mr. Irrelevant, yeah. third-string quarterback, having to take over for the 49ers and leading him on going undefeated. 6-0 in the regular season, winning playoff games and going to the NFC Championship game before he got hurt. And so they've got Brock Purdy versus their third overall pick in Trey Lance, two young guys. And so who ends up being the quarterback of the um, 49ers? We expect CJ Stroud and Bryce Young to be, you know, the first two picks in the draft upcoming. Do they both start? Who takes them? Do they go to Carolina and Houston, respectively, Stroud and, and Young? Or is there a change? Where does Anthony Richardson go? So I just think there's a lot of fascinating storylines among all the quarterbacks. And so that's what I'll be looking forward to. Fair enough. Quick follow-up on the banquet thing before I forget. True or false, you were playing beer pong with students at the after party till 3 a.m. I think you mentioned that on your podcast. Uh, That would be true. That would be true. Then how was that experience? That also had to be part of that whole full circle moment. I ran the table. I was good. I'm better beer pong than you think. (laughs) Um, Yeah, pretty good. Pretty damn good. Hey, I got some texts on some of our bits. I was going there next. Before we wrap up, can now let's go back to the text of some of the uh, crazy morning show bits, crazy morning crew bits. Okay. So um, we did a thing called Sing Along with Adam. Adam would sing a verse, uh, would do an acapella version of the verse of a song, and the caller had to complete the verse. <laughs> so we did a whole thing with Sing Along with um, with Adam. We did a, a weekly report on uh, Beverly Hills 90210, the 90210 report. So, you know, we always thought that was funny, like, a you know, a bunch of dudes talking about Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> uh, we always did that. I think we at one point, I don't know if we ever actually did it or if we just pretended that it happened. But at the War Memorial, they were having uh, tryouts for the American Gladiators. And so we uh, we made Adam go down and try out, or at least we said we were doing that. <laughs> and so we talked about how how terrible that was. Uh, yeah. So those were some of the stuff we did. And, you know, we just we had a lot of fun. Matthew Berry of NBC Sports, WJPC Class of 92. Really appreciate you taking some time out of your very busy schedule and spending a few minutes with us today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, my friend. Go Cuse. 
The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.